Have you ever been homesick? Perhaps when you were younger, summer camp or visiting grandparents, grew homesick. Perhaps when you travel for work, you served in the military, you were homesick. Perhaps even you grow homesick when you're on vacation. Just can't wait to get home. Often when I travel for ministry or church, I only go about a day till I want to go home and be with my family. Perhaps even this morning, you find yourself longing to be home, longing to be in familiar territory and familiar streets, that neighborhood you grew up in. The town where you can even today name all of the streets, the stop signs, the shops, longing for home. Our psalmist this morning is in a similar place. He's homesick. Not for his own home, but for the Lord's home. He's sick because he can't be at the temple, worshiping. He's in a distant land far from Jerusalem. He finds himself alone and wanting to just go home. His mind is taken up with memories, filled with days of joy that seem to only deepen his sorrow and pain. His memory drives him into despair. The distance itself, knowing that in an instant he cannot be where he wants to be. He's homesick. Homesick from the Lord's home. This morning we're going to consider Psalm 42. A song of lament. Lamentation is a a particular type of song or song where the psalmist expresses his sorrow over his circumstances, perhaps over the circumstances of his nation, the nation of Israel, or because of sin. This particular psalm, as you'll see, begins book two, as Pastor Rod pointed out a number of weeks ago, that that the psalms, the Psalter, is divided into five books, this being the beginning of book two, a Book two is a collection of psalms from the sons of Korah and of David, the king of Israel. And our psalm this morning begins with this superscription to the choir master. It was a psalm that was sung in the congregation. They would have regularly used it in in the corporate worship of Israel. Much like we would have, much like we used it earlier in the service, reading it responsively, they would have sang it to some sort of music, or perhaps even used it liturgically. This is why it says it's a maskil of the sons of Korah. Maskil is an untranslated Hebrew word that has to do with their ordering of services. Again, much like a responsive reading or antiphonal reading where one side of the congregation would read a portion and then the other side would read the other portion, a sort of back and forth. We see an example of that in Isaiah 6 where the angels are worshiping holy, holy, holy back and forth, singing. 
Here in this particular psalm, we find the psalmist expressing lament over his, his distance from the temple. If you have your Bibles open, you'll notice that Psalm 43 seems to be closely connected to Psalm 42. Psalm 43 doesn't have a superscription. The only one in all of Book 2 of the Psalter that doesn't begin with some direction as to how it is to be used. This has led many to believe that Psalm 43 is a, a third stanza of Psalm 42. That the two rather go together. While each of these psalms do stand alone on their own, uh, they could easily be sung together. But this morning, uh, we're going to consider just Psalm 42. As you notice in the psalm, it can be divided into two stanzas. Before I read, I just want to note those to you. Verses 1 through 4 is the first stanza of the song. Uh, Much like our hymns are arranged in verses, so this is the first verse of the song. Verses 1 through 4. Then there's a refrain found there in verse 5. Then in verse 6, picks up the second half, the second stanza, all the way to verse 10, or verse 10 ending that second stanza, and verse 11 being the refrain. Again, you see the repetition. Notice that if we continue into chapter 43, Psalm 43, you'll see another stanza, a third stanza that goes from verses 1 to 4, and then a final refrain in verse 5. Sort of that repeated refrain, why are you cast down on my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for again I shall praise you, my salvation and my God. Well, let's, let's go now, and I'm going to read Psalm 42. This is the psalm we'll consider this morning. Psalm 42, to the choir master, a mascal of the sons of Korah. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they sang to me, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night, his song is within me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock. Why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. 
This psalm is filled with sorrow and sadness. It is not a song of praise, of joy, but rather a song filled with tear and emotion, deep emotion. I've summarized the psalm in this way. Brothers, sisters, find hope in the Lord when you experience seasons of despair and sorrow. For God will deliver you. Our hope this morning is for us to find encouragement that when we face seasons of despair and sorrow, to be very clear, friend, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you will face seasons of despair. Seasons of sorrow. You will face seasons where you will use this psalm and his words will be your words. Where are you, God? Why have you forsaken me? Why have you left me? Why have you abandoned me? The psalmist offers two responses when we face seasons of depression. So this morning, you may be in a season of of despair, of sorrow, of depression. You may be coming out of a season. You may be going into a season. Perhaps you've been in a season for many years. Friend, this psalm offers a way to respond in the midst of this. To be clear, this psalm does not give the wrong expectation that deliverance will come immediately. There is nothing in this psalm that indicates that the psalmist problem is resolved. But yet he still hopes. He hopes into the future. And that's what we want to do this morning. And so if you're taking notes, there's really two points. I've organized them around those two stanzas and summarized them in two ways. First, in the midst of depression and despair and sorrow, long for God's presence long for God's presence and secondly long for God's protection it seems to be the two things the psalmist is doing is longing for God's presence in his life and longing for God's protection against the adversaries he faces and so in verses one through five we see the psalmist longing for God Thirsting, if you will, for the presence of the living God. Look there. The psalmist begins with a, with a very familiar passage. A, a song was turned into this. Not a very good song, but, but nonetheless, a song nonetheless. Using this language about a deer panting for water. It's a vivid image, isn't it? Of an animal running and thirsting and, and exhausted and exacerbated by by, by his desperate state. He describes his condition as one running to find water, a a deer panting, thirsting, his thirst unquenched. His lack of water has left him in a state of utter emptiness and despair. He longs for just a single drop of water. He uses this, a familiar scene that they would have known, an animal running and thirsting and panting for just a drink from the brook, from the pond, from a river. 
And he compares this with his condition before God. Notice what he says there in verse 1. As a deer pants for for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. What the psalmist longs for is God. He is thirsty for God. A thirst that is unquenched. Well, he restates the same idea then in verse 2. Just intensifying the sort of desperate situation he finds himself in. So often you and I can't relate with this because, one, we don't live in a nomadic society. A society that, uh, you know, a culture that sort of is driven more by where uh, natural resources are, right? If we want something to drink, we go to the water fountain or we go to the the sink or or we go to grab the bottle of water out of the refrigerator, right? The the psalmist didn't have such things. neither, Neither did these animals, right? There was a sense in which life was connected to these sources of water, a theme throughout the Old Testament, that that life is in the water. This is, of course, why the the Israelites are so stressed out when they leave Egypt and are in the wilderness, because there's no water in the desert. And why they cry out to God for water, because they equate a really just basic biological problem. If you don't have water you will die. It's so interesting how so many times we can go without food throughout the day, but how quickly we need water. We need something to drink. For the psalmist, he longed for God's presence in his life. He finds himself far from God. As we'll learn later in the psalm, it literally, he is far from God's presence in that he cannot go and worship at the temple for the psalmist it was at the temple where he met with God where he enjoyed God's presence in the in his life now this is not to to mean that that he doubted God's omnipresence his his presence everywhere but rather in his soul though he knew God was was there he felt that God was far from him He had a a longing for God, a thirst for God. Similarly, David, in Psalm 63, he says this, Oh God, you're my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. C.S. Lewis said it this way, that this psalmist, psalmist had an appetite for God. He had an appetite for God. In other words, what... What longing he had in his soul could not be satisfied with anything in this world. It was only God. And friend, this morning I, I would just wonder, do you have an appetite, a desire, a long for God in your life? The psalmist finds himself in sorrow and in tears. In verse 3, he cries out, my tears have been my food Day and night. He is provoked by these tears. By the fact he finds himself so far from his God. This is why at the end of verse 2 he asks this question. When shall I come and appear before God? When can I come into your presence again God? God is so distanced from him. All he desires is for God to be real in his life. So he's filled with tears. The image is quite vivid, isn't it? Verse 3, 
He's thirsty, right? Picking up that theme of thirst. And what is he quenching his thirst with? Nothing other than his own tears is what's satisfying him. His sorrow is so great that he's given up food. He can't eat. He's unsatisfied by food. He's sick. Perhaps this has been your experience in your depression. In your sadness. Refusal of food. Occupying your time with just crying and weeping. Not only does he face temptation from within, notice there in verse 3, the taunts of disbelief. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? As the psalmist progresses, he seems, I believe, to agree with this, this question. Yeah, that's a good question. Where is God? You see, the enemy tempts us in this way to doubt God's nearness. Where is God? So often we equate God's nearness to blessings. When life is good, when we seem to be bountiful and blessings and goodness, and, and, and there just seems to be everything's going well, there's no problems at home, kids are doing well, grandkids all okay, then God must be near. The enemy swoops in when trials come and begins to question, where is God? Where has he gone? The psalmist finds himself in a familiar place. Where is your God? But not only is he being attacked from outside, notice there in verse 4, his own mind is taunting him. An old familiar friend, his memory, is accusing him. In verse 4, he remembers in sadness. He says, I pour out my soul. In the Hebrew, he, he's, he's just he's spilling his guts. His soul is being poured out. He's emptying himself. He's in, he's in a desperate place. And his mind is causing him even greater pain. As he remembers the good days of gathering with the congregation. Look there in verse 4. He's describing there temple worship that would have gone on in the life of Israel. He, he notes a number of things that he would have participated in, how he would have gone with the throng. It's just a picture of the congregation, how he would have gone with the gathering. Oftentimes in the nation of Israel, when they would go in temple worship, it wasn't just individual, it was corporate. They would march to the city. Uh, we see this early in Jesus's life, for example, when his family makes the sort of uh, trek to Jerusalem and this big entourage is going with him, right? This is how they would often have made their journey to Jerusalem to worship. He remembers this community, the corporate gathering. He goes on to say how he would lead them in procession. Perhaps the psalmist was a, a leader, a choir leader, a song leader. Perhaps even this is David. You don't really know. The picture is one of, of joy, right? It was shouts of gladness and joy. It was a wonderful time as he remembered all the beauty. A great celebration of who God is and was was before his mind. And all this did was seem to deepen his sadness and his sorrow. 
Perhaps your memory does the same to you. You remember a lost loved one. Perhaps remembering days that were good, pain-free. Friend, you can find comfort here in a similar state of a believer seeking to follow God in the midst of sorrow. But as he thinks and remembers, notice there in verse 5, there's a refrain of hope. He doesn't just swallow in his sorrow. He doesn't just stay. He, He uses a remedy here that is the remedy for you and I in the midst of sorrow. He begins by questioning himself in two ways. Why are you cast down and why are you in turmoil? He says, soul, why are you depressed? Soul, why are you distraught? Why are you upset? When we we begin to care for our own souls, it begins with questions. It begins by questioning our, our soul. Soul, speaking to ourselves. Why are you depressed? In other words, what he's doing is he's playing a physician. He's trying to discover the source of his condition. And brothers and sisters, this is where we must begin by by looking at the source of our condition. Why are we sorrowful? Why are we depressed? Why are we distraught? He doesn't just blanketly... Push it away. Say, you know, get over it. Be happy. Smile. How sad I've heard some Christians give such counsel to those in deep depression. Friend, let me just help you right now. You telling a depressed person to be happy does nothing for them. Nothing. Someone who is in darkness needs the light of the gospel. Not your platitudes. Why are you cast down on my soul? His question offers us two pictures. One is a cast down soul. I love that ESV keeps this more literal translation of cast down. Because it really is the linguistic picture here that Hebrew is trying to sort of convey to us a cast down soul is a soul that is not high right it's one that's low it's a it's a humble humiliating state it's a cast down thrown down it's a it's a soul that's in the ground a soul that finds itself in its lowest place in the darkness in the pits this is what david would use that expression that that image of being thrown into the pit is how david would describe it pit of despair it's a deep place it is not a shallow ground despair and sadness is not something that one can easily climb out of one who is cast down is a place where happiness is fleeting but notice here in the text he's not only cast down Look at the second line of the stanza in verse 5. And why are you in turmoil within me? That word turmoil kind of conveys this idea of war, doesn't it? 
distraught, distress, war, turmoil. There's a conflict going on. He doesn't want to be in a state of sorrow. But yet he can't find his way out. He's in a dark place with no light to lead him forward. So it seems. Friends, we could describe this in verse 5 as a fight for joy. The psalmist is wrestling with his soul, trying to find joy. It seems to be like sand in his hand. It just runs right through. He can't catch it. He's desperate for it. But he finds a way forward. The way forward for the psalmist is not found, again, in some sort of pep talk. Some sort of, you know, look within, find hope within, look Pull yourself up by your spiritual bootstraps. Rather, notice what he does. He commands himself to do something, doesn't he, in verse 5? Hope in God. This is an imperative form. He says, hope in God. He commands himself. Look, you need to find hope in God, friend. You need to find hope in God. The only thing that would end the war in his soul... In the deep in sorrow and sadness that he found himself was to find God. For him, the remedy would not be found from within, but from without in his God. Namely, in who his God was. The psalmist uses the word hope here to mean waiting for God's deliverance. The author of Hebrews defines hope as the expectations of, of the things yet delivered or, or yet received, right? It is an expectation to receive the promises of God. And the psalmist here turns to this hopeful expectation of God's presence. The only remedy for his sorrow was the future. He would not find hope in the present. He would not find hope in the past. He would only find hope in the future. That's what he says, isn't it? Look there in verse 5. Why does he find hope in God? Look, for I shall again praise him. Literally, I will praise him. I will praise him. It will happen. There will become, there will come a day. It may not be today. It may not be tomorrow. It may not be next year. But there is coming a day, the psalmist said, where I will praise him again. Where I will be in his presence again. You see, this is this is hard for us to, to get our minds around. Because, see, we live in a microwave age, right? Our millennials live in an age where one-day delivery is not enough, right? we got to have, like, two-hour delivery, folks, right? Uh, I need my fast food. I, can't, I don't have time to go get my fast food anymore. My fast food has to come to me. i got to deliver things. I don't have time to go shopping. Instacart, it's going to come to me. We live in an age of immediacy. When we want something, we get it. We get what we want. Brothers and sisters, whatever your age, you have been infected by this. You are that spoiled little toddler that when he wants something, he gets what he wants. Let's be honest. 
live in the immediacy. And we connect our hope to the immediate joy that we're going to receive. But the psalmist doesn't. Nowhere in the psalm do you see relief in the present. But rather relief in the future. In future grace. He's like Jeremiah. In Lamentation chapter 3, he says this, The Lord is my, hope, my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. A continual hoping in the Lord. We'll consider in a moment here how he ascribes God as one of salvation and his God. We'll, we'll think about that in just a moment. But, but I want to reflect here for just a moment. While we no longer meet with God through the tabernacle, through the temple, we do meet with God through his son, Jesus Christ. Through our union with Christ, we commune with the eternal God. And friend, if you're not a Christian this morning, this passage reminds you that God has created you to be in a relationship with him. You see, the instinctive desire of, of human beings hardwired in our DNA is this longing for God. Paul tells us in Romans 2 that, that all man, every human being has a desire for the eternal God, but they deny it. They suppress the truth. Friend, you were created to long for God. The emptiness you feel in your life can only be satisfied through a relationship with Jesus Christ. The eternal God has come near. Your only hope of salvation comes through the death of Christ. Friend, if you're not a Christian this morning, here's a good question to ask yourself. What am I longing for in this life? What are you longing for in your life? What do you find satisfaction? What, what quenches your thirst? And I hope this morning you would find your thirst quenched with the presence of God mediated through his spirit. Through Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, this passage reminds us, I think, of a truth I want us to back, from, back away from and think about. And that's the reality of depression. Depression is amoral. What that means is it, it's not connected to morality. Meaning that if you are suffering with depression, that does not mean you're a sinner, but that you live in a fallen world. And there are some that suffer from clinical depression and they need medicine to help them. And there is nothing wrong with that. And friend, this morning, if you find yourself suffering with regular bouts of depression, friend, let me encourage you to seek help. If you want some just wisdom and guidance on that, Pastor Rod and I would be happy to help you think through how you seek medical care for your seasons of depression. Friends, as Christians, we should not see it as, as abnormal to suffer with depression. I myself have suffered with depression through seasons of life. Dark days. Cloud filled days. And friends, it may be seasonal for you. It may be circumstantial. Meaning certain things happen in life. 
Friends, wherever it is, we want to see that it is part of living in a fallen world. Some of us are inflected with depression, thoughts of suicide. Friend, let us care for one another in those seasons. Let us not just cast them aside, look down upon a brother or sister, but rather look to Christ. Friend, Christ was the example of one who lived in a fallen world, though he he himself was sinless. He regularly longed to be with his father. He he was regularly homesick, right? That feeling of sickness. Do you long for the presence of God in your life? One of the remedies to depression the psalmist offers here is singing. It's amazing how God uses song to help us find our way out of darkness. You see, it was the corporate gathering that he missed. Friend, do you miss the corporate gathering? Do you long to gather on the Lord's day? This psalmist, who's making him sick to miss worship. Surely worship wasn't a burden to him. He didn't see getting, going and gathering with the congregation as a burden. He saw it as a delight and joy and he longed for it. Friend, how many of our shut-ins would long just to be here? You can ask Marianne how long she's been longing to be here. And how painful it's been. You know. Friend, do you see gathering regularly as a means to satisfy your longing for God, do you understand why we do corporate worship? Why, why we don't have personal time with Jesus in our gatherings? The reason is, is because this is to resemble an, a foretaste of heaven. What we do here is to reflect that day. When we're facing seasons of depression and discouragement, we don't want to like re- retreat from the gathering, but rather entreat, run to the gathering. And just let, let that just get in your mind now. When those days come, don't retreat, but rather fight it to gather for joy. As the psalmist felt the weight of his situation, it was the presence of the Lord that he longed for more than anything else. It was only the Lord that could satisfy his soul. And as we face these seasons of depression, let us long for God's presence. Not only that, let us long for God's protection. Notice here in verses 6 through 11, the psalmist here is longing for God's protection. That God's presence would usher in his deliverance from his state. In the second stanza, the psalm here turns his attention to the Lord's deliverance. Lord, deliver me, save me. Again, there in verse 6, he repeats, my soul is cast down within me. Soul finds itself in a cast down state. Here he says, I remember you from the land of Jordan, Hermon and of Mount Mizar. He finds himself far. He's in the upper Jordan, Jordanian Valley. And as he looks out, he knows one thing. He's far from Jerusalem. He can't get there quickly. But more than that, he looks at the distance how far he was from Jordan, or from Jerusalem, rather, from the temple. He looks out on the Jordanian Valley, and he sees the rivers 
converging. And as he does, he sees some rivers coming. And as these rivers begin to fall over the spillway and crash and make these sort of loud crashing noises, he says, that's the state of my soul. This is why he says in verse 7, deep calls the deep. At the roar of your waterfalls, all your breakers and your waves have gone over me. The picture of a river, right? River flowing quickly to the edge and falling, cascading down the rocks is a, is a picture of a lack of control. It's a violent picture, right? One, one cannot stop themselves. The, the current too strong coming to the precipice of falling over, landing, crashing into waves. Very bleak picture of one who is not in control. One who is recognizing that they are at the mercy of the currents and that they cannot rescue themselves. The picture is one being tossed back and forth without control. One of my greatest fears is driving and being swept away by like a river, like rising water. It just scares no control, right? ever driven through water that's moving your vehicle moves with it you know thousand pound vehicle being moved by water it's a frightening scary place the psalmist finds himself in a place of utter darkness a place where no hope is found but i want you to notice something here in the text which leads to the point the psalmist is trying to make verse seven look again Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls, at your breakers and your waves that have gone over me. The psalmist makes very clear a a theological point that all that he is experiencing is attributed to one and one only, and that is God. You have led me to this place. You have providentially taken me to this place of sorrow and sadness and despair. And so the psalmist turns in a prayer in verse 8 and begins to lament his condition and begins to cry out to God, why have you done this, God? Verse 8, he says, by day the Lord commands his steadfast love and at night his song is within me. As the psalmist reflects, he has to do something. And he he begins to shift his language here and he begins to turn. And notice here, it's the first time he's used the Lord. Throughout the psalm, he's used the word Elohim, God. And here he turns to Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God. He turns to his covenant relationship with God as the basis of God's deliverance from his difficulty. What gave the psalmist hope was the fact that God was commanding his steadfast love. In verse 7, he attributes his sorrow to God. In verse 8, he attributes the deliverance to God. God's salvation through judgment. God's salvation through sorrow and suffering is a theme throughout the Old Testament and into the New Testament. Where God will take his people through difficulty that he might deliver them. 
Friends, you could just trace that theme throughout the Old Testament where God is often working to, to lead his people to a point of utter desperation so that the only one who can save them is God. So the psalmist recognizes this. He appeals to the covenant basis as his relationship with God. He is the Lord, the one who is steadfast in love. While it may appear that God does not love him, he is reminded that God is a loving God, a steadfast God. He says that in the night when his soul is filled with sorrow, it's a song of love that he sings. A song of love. Friend, this is so counter our experience. Again, we do not equate pain with love, sorrow with love, sadness with love. But brothers and sisters, these saints did. It was normal to see the experience of God's people to be intertwined yet with sadness and love. And he cries out to God in a prayer of lament. There in verse 9. Look there. Why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? As the psalmist reflects on his, his condition, he cries out to his rock. And he questions him. Why have you done this? Why have you allowed this? Why does this continue to happen? Why is my enemy allowed to continue to oppress me and hurt me. Why? So often we think that questions like that are sacrilegious, perhaps even sinful. This psalm, is, this psalm gives you license to lament your condition. Why? Again, we see no answer. Beyond the fact that God is sovereign and that he is in control. He still asks the question, why? His condition is one of great deadness, deadliness. He describes it in verse 10 as deadly wounds in my bone. Physically, he's being affected by the taunts of the enemy. Where is your God? Where is your God? Where is he? The friend this morning, maybe you are tempted in that way too. Where's a God? Maybe you're tempted to believe the taunts of the evil one in the midst of your sorrow, in the midst of your circumstances. For I know so many of your stories. I know where you're at. It is okay, the psalmist is saying, to ask these questions so long as you conclude with hope in God, for I shall again praise him. He does not allow their assaults to prevail. He again turns to his hope-filled refrain by exhorting himself to find hope in God. Hope in the God who he is waiting to act in his God's perfect timing, he will prevail over his enemies and vindicate his causes. 
The psalmist will not wallow in his despair, but lifts his head to the God of his salvation. His hope is in a future salvation that's yet to come. Friend, if you're not a Christian this morning, this psalmist describes, I think, a quite deadly situation you find yourself in. An overwhelming situation. A situation where only the Lord can save. You see, it was that covenant relationship that he depended upon. So this morning, let me just exhort you to find your hope in the Lord, in his salvation. To turn from your sins and trust in him. He will deliver you. Again, maybe not today, but he will deliver you. This passage reminds us of our need for Christ. That Christ was forsaken by the Father. This prayer, this psalm must have been upon our Savior's lips. Why have you forgotten me? Can't you hear the Savior on the cross? Father, why have you forgotten me? Why do they, why do they go on? Where's your God? Come on, Jesus. If, if you're truly the Son of God, can't you just call God? Can't God save you? Christ is the display of God's undying love for us. God's steadfast love for his people is demonstrated by his own death, by his own sacrifice of his own son. There we see God's love displayed. Brothers and sisters, Christ is our only hope in the midst of our trials. He's the one in whom we hope in, particularly in the resurrection. So this morning, brother, sister, as you reflect on this psalm, do you feel like the Lord is far from you? That his deliverance from evil has yet to come? Friend, just remember that Christ has defeated the enemy on the cross. Do you feel like God's forgotten you because of the difficult situation you find yourself in? you find regular time to complain to God? Let me encourage you to do that. The psalmist sees no problem doing that. To complain. Why? 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 Why did you lead me here? Why am I so far from? Do you know it's okay to lament this world? To lament the fallenness of this world? Again, the psalmist is not accusing God of sin. He, he's, not doing, he's not sinning himself. But he, he, he's, he's showing us what it looks like to live in a broken, fallen world. The Lord knows your sorrows, so cry out to him with them. Tell him. But do so, waiting on the Lord's future grace, his future deliverance. Brothers and sisters, God has demonstrated his love for us. Therefore, we shall not doubt his future deliverance. Because the psalmist was far from God, he desired to be with God. Friend, you may feel far from God today, but know that one day you will be near him. Friend, depression is a normal experience of the Christian life. We will all face seasons that are dark. 
that are difficult. And frankly, sometimes some may experience darker days than others. But by God's grace, he will see us through every one of them. Perhaps you're in one of those seasons. Find hope in the Lord. God will deliver you. Long for his presence. Long for his protection. Don't give up longing for him. The great prince of preachers, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, regularly experienced in his life prolonged seasons of depression, sadness, utter darkness. And he once said this, The road to sorrow has been well trodden. It is the regular sheep track to heaven, and all the flock of God have had to pass it along. This passage reminds us of this truth. That godly mourning is better than earthly rejoicing. Better to mourn and lament over our present condition than to find joy in our present condition. Friend, let us, let us be homesick for heaven. Let us see, as we sang in that first hymn, that there are no treasures in this earth. That sometimes sorrow is a gift of God that we might long for another place. Let us long for eternity where sadness and sorrow and depression will be no more. Let us have the picture of Revelation 21 before us. This is what the psalmist saw. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. And they will be his people and God himself will be to them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and earth shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed. God with his people. Sorrow gone. For all glory. This is what we long. Let's pray. Father, we pray this morning as we long for heaven. That we would find our thirst satisfied in you alone. Give us an appetite for you. Longing for your presence and your protection. Longing for the day where sorrows and sadness shall be no more. Let us have our heads lifted high to that city. The city you've eternally destined us to be. Help us, Father, in our journey. As we celebrate the supper a foretaste of that place we were on our journey to. Help us to long for your presence now. In Christ's name, amen.